Welcome back to the 123 show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Friday afternoon. And I'm really excited to welcome back on the program the one and the only Cruzy McCalligan. Cruz, it's so lovely to speak to you today. How, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. I'm just trying to work out what this weather's doing. It's raining, then it's sunny, then it's raining, then it's sunny. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. And then suddenly it's thundery and it's really sunny where we are um, in Kowloon Tong Broadcast Drive. Uh, what about you? What's what's the weather like where, where you are? I'm in central area and it's looking pretty overcast. Like I would say it's probably going to start raining in a minute. Oh. So, so anything could happen. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it could um, be spitting it down with rain. Can yes, you say that? Could I you? was about to <laughs> <laughs> just a like just a rain, um, which is what we're talking about today. Spitting, um, which I mean, that's why an interesting topic. Yeah, it's an interesting topic. Um, Spit- are you talking about like I, spitting, like, like that? You know, like, <laughs> I don't know why I did that. I, can I say? Can I say that once I was behind someone on the street, and they did the, and they didn't spit, and that was almost more disgusting. You that's know what I mean? So weird. Well, yeah, uh, that's so <laughs> weird. Well, where did it go? Did, he, did the person swallow it? I don't it want to back? know. Oh yeah, okay. I well, don't yeah, want yeah. to know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to know. But anyway, so we're talking about we're talking about spitting, and there's a couple of reasons. Um, I recently watched someone spitting, and I thought, do people still do that? Do people yeah. still just spit on the street? And um, uh, also, unfortunately for me, my children have discovered that it's hilarious to spit saliva from your mouth, which is obviously no problem that any parent wants to have to have. Uh, (laughs) Um, But if we're talking about spit, it's probably a good idea to start talking about saliva, um, which is, you know, kind of an unsung hero among our body fluids, to be honest. Um, Firstly, saliva consists of about 99% water, Mm -hmm. and the other 1% is made up of electrolytes and organic substances including digestive enzymes and small quantities of uric acid, cholesterol, and mucins, which are the proteins that form mucus. So there's quite a few things in our spit, even though it's 99% water. There's also a medical standard for how much spit you should have. So healthy individuals accumulate, and deep breath for this, between two and six cups of spit a day. And um, that's without the stimulation of activities like eating or chewing gum, which open our spit floodgates, basically. Um, Interestingly, saliva production has a circadian rhythm. So your body typically produces the most saliva in the late afternoon, which I wouldn't have thought. I thought it was maybe something like midday or something, but no, late afternoon and the least amount at night. Salivation is controlled by our autonomic nervous system, kind of like our heartbeat, meaning it's an unconscious process. We can't just think, oh, I wish I could just start salivating right now. Um, But there are different kinds of spit, uh, which is a bit of a disgusting thing to say. It has, salivation has five distinct phases, mostly triggered by the passage of food through our bodies. Um, And not all of these are a good thing. So the first type of salivation is uh, cephalic, which is the kind that occurs when you see or you smell something delicious, which is probably what we think about as like a cartoon. You're drooling because something looks so yummy, right? When you smell something delicious, just to prepare yourself for... Preparing yourself, that's exactly it. Then you have the buccal phase, which is the body's reflexive response to the actual presence of food in the mouth, which aids in swallowing. If we didn't have spit, it would be very hard to swallow a lot of different types of foods. Um, the esophageal phase involves the stimulation of salivary glands as food moves through our esophagus. And the gastric phase is something uh, happens when something irritates your stomach. 
like when you're just about to puke. Um, and the intestinal phase is triggered by a food that doesn't agree with you passing through the upper intestine. So we actually have saliva being produced and going through our digestive system. It's not just in our mouths, right? So that's quite a difficult one. Now, this is an interesting one. Have you ever heard the phrase like lick your wounds? Like, oh, they've gone into the corner, yeah. lick their wounds. What's the origin of it? Is it related? Yeah, so apparently saliva can battle bacteria. So spit is actually full of infection-battling white blood cells. And according to a 2015 study, um, neutrophils, a type of white blood cells, that are, are more effective at killing bacteria if they come from saliva than from anywhere else in the body. So adding saliva to a wound gives the body a powerful backup as it fights off infection. Now, I'm not saying that's an alternative to modern medicine, but I can understand when we... For example, if you accidentally hammer your finger as you're trying to hammer a nail and you put it in your your mouth automatically to kind of suck on it. You know what I mean? We have those like instincts as people um, to lick our wounds. Um, and there's a reason for it. There's a there's a, an evolutionary biological reason for it. Um, apparently, spit can also help us um, keep keep from getting cavities. So the calcium, fluoride, and phosphate in saliva strengthens your teeth. Also, can I say that the more I'm doing this column, the more spit is accumulating in my mouth. I think it's psychosomatic. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to draw on my notes in a minute. I've seen this. You see, this is what happens. Maybe that's what the, the, the person you saw, maybe they were talk, having, giving an audio column about spitting and they had to just and then swallow. <laughs> maybe that's what it was. The accumulation um, of spit. Yeah, but anyway, so but it's not a terrible thing. So a lot of spit um, can can fight cavity-causing bacteria, washes away bits of food, um, and things like that. Um, which is why chewing gum usually gets a dentist stamp of approval because chewing increases the flow of saliva, which can protect, which could protect your oral health. Obviously, chewing a lot of chewing gum has other repercussions as well. Um, if you want to be able to taste anything, you need saliva. It, it's like a solvent for taste and it ferries the dissolved deliciousness to all of our taste receptors. Um, and it also keeps those receptors healthy by preventing them from drying out and protecting them from bacterial infections. Um, so a lot of people who have very dry mouth often find that their sense of taste is affected by that as well. Um, a disgusting fact that doesn't seem to put any of us off the act, but um, swapping spit exchanges millions of bacteria. A 10-second kiss, a 10-second kiss, and I don't even think it's like a proper Frenchy-French one. I think this is just a 10-second kiss. Can transfer some 80 million bacteria. It sounds in the study. Yep. Um, once upon a time, though, um, let's, wait, let's talk about stress and spit. You know when you get scared and you say, my mouth is dry and you're really anxious and you're nervous? There's a reason they say that the body's fight or flight response is designed to give you the energy and strength you need. Um, and so your blood pressure goes up, your heart beats faster, and the lungs take in more oxygen. And this is not the time that you're going to be sitting around and digesting. So the digestion system, digestion system slows down the production, including that of saliva. So when you are living a very high stress lifestyle, you have a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, your body will put its energy into things like running away from danger as opposed to eating a hamburger. So it doesn't, it slows down your saliva production, which is super interesting. Um, ah, so that what, flight or f uh, f uh, fight or flight response, that's why you've got dry mouth. Yeah, exactly. Mm. That's why you get it. Um, and apparently once upon a time, a lack of spit was once used as an admission of guilt. In some ancient societies, saliva was used as a basic lie detector. In ancient India, accused liars had to chew grains of rice 
And if they were telling the truth, they would have enough saliva to spit them back out again. And if someone was lying, their mouth would go dry and the rice would stick in their throat. Obviously, this is not a totally accurate system, but it's interesting to think that's how they were trying to... um, that's the way that they were trying to assess if someone had their body was holding that guilt. It would have dried out their mouths. Um, I couldn't see it in a cortical today, but who knows? Um, but of course, so that's saliva. Now, when I talk about the act of spitting, it's pretty disgusting. I think it's quite disgusting. I think I was once, you know, when you, I think I was once like on a hike with someone and they turned and had a big spit. And it was quite revolting. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I think there's something about seeing someone spit that inherently we often see as quite rude. Um, and I mean, I would say it would be rude if you were sitting and talking to someone, unless they had actively had an insect fly into their mouth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I, I see it as quite a rude thing to do. And we used to see um, it so much in um, in Hong Kong, but not these days. And, and when you do see it, it's kind of, like you said, it's kind of shocking. And I've seen that shocking. a few times, um, especially sometimes in like the park or something. And I'm not generalizing here, but maybe it's um, like, you know, um, very senior citizens when a they think nobody's generation. <laughs> where it was where it was more acceptable, you know, they're just clearing out the the, I don't know, their throat or whatever. And, and do you think it's better if somebody spits in a bin or just, you know, I, I don't know, sometimes they, maybe they just have to, I don't know, get out their thing. But still, it's pretty nasty, especially right maybe, now. I think it's maybe in a tissue or something. I think if you're spitting into a tissue and it's close to your mouth, I think that the more of the trajectory of the spit that you witness, almost the more disgusting it is. <laughs> that's what <laughs> yeah. I say. Um, so I think that's it. Like if someone just spits on the floor, it's a long way from your face to Agree, the ground. Yeah. Right? So I think that's what makes it disgusting. But interestingly, um, in the past, it was a socially acceptable habit in Europe. But by the 19th century, manners changed. And this coincided with a greater awareness of the transmission of contagious diseases that could be spread by spitting. So public health campaigns were launched against it. Um, of course, during the 1940s, when tuberculosis was very widespread, it was common to see spitting prohibited signs on buses. But actually, today, and this is not encouraging people to do so, but the risk of catching a contagious disease if you're spat at is very low. Um, you do find a small chance of getting uh, a cold or possibly the flu, obviously, and other diseases that are spread through saliva include um, hepatitis, viral meningitis, cytomegalovirus, um, an Epstein-Barr virus, which causes glandular fever. So you should probably not be spat at. Um, you know, it's not a good thing to be spat at. In other countries, like in the UK, being spat at is considered violent behavior and assault, actually. If you're being spat at, in most case, cases, spitting, if done deliberately, will be considered an assault. And they started to introduce spit hoods to protect police officers who get spat at when they're doing their job. Yeah, it's kind um, which of, is, I mean, it's very offensive. It's incredibly offensive. I think it doesn't matter who somebody is, but to spit at somebody, it, it is a very violent it's a very, very violent act. Um, the police force in um, the UK, um, just one police force, the West Midlands Police Force, in one year, they had 231 officers spat on by members Ugh. of the public, which is um, yeah, horrific, really. Good. Yeah, so it, it's quite disgusting. Um, a lot of people have tried to talk about how it's a foul idea that you should not spit. It's, it's a social ill, if you will. Um, but interestingly, um, there's a... a China, ahead of the 2008 Beijing Olympics, tried to 
minimize yeah. their population spitting. Yeah, right? I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they handed out special spit bags and there were banners across the city urging in Beijing Olympics, urging people not to spit as a way of improving manners. Um, so they wanted it to be more civilized and have it all better behaved. Um, so it's kind of, I mean, that's 2008. I mean, that's quite a while ago now, but um, it's kind of interesting that that's something that they kind of thought, well, maybe we're finding it acceptable here, but people visiting us may not, um, and say, as, as you would in any other country as well. Um, interestingly, and I quite like this, um, it was a women-led campaign um, in New York City that made it illegal to spit in public in 1900. Wow. So this oh, is kind of interesting. Wow, they were light years ahead of their time. Yes, that's what, right. A century. So it's quite amazing, actually. So usually courtrooms were not places for proper women in the late 1800s. They were crowded with men who smoked and spat. So they were probably pretty revolting. And they were places where if a woman was in a courtroom, it was usually because she was a victim or a witness or getting divorced or being accused of a crime herself. Um, but in the late 19, in late 19, uh, hold on. In late 1884, newspapers reported that a group of middle-class women from Manhattan delivered written documentation wrapped in a lovely bow to a grand jury, and the, num uh, the members of the Ladies' Health Protection Protective Association, um, who were from uh, the east side in New York, brought a lawsuit against a man called Michael Kane, who was the owner of a giant manure dump in their neighborhood. And the manure pile covered two city blocks and stood 30 feet tall. Can you imagine? Um, and now he, this made him huge amounts of money. He employed 150 workers to gather manure from stables and sell it as fertilizer to farmers outside of the city. And his uh, manure pile supposedly earned about $300,000 per year. To put that in perspective, that would be worth about eight, 8 million US dollars a year he made selling manure from two city blocks, right? But according to this New York Times article in December 20th, 1884, 10 members of the LHPA um, said that the smell was very disagreeable and perfectly frightful and simply undurable, unendurable. And they wouldn't, they couldn't open their windows to enjoy uh, fresh air. They worried it posed a risk to their children's health and they, or they said it was a, it was a nuisance. Um, now, the interesting thing is that by calling the manure a nuisance, they placed the case in legal terms. A nuisance case argues that the offending activity ruins others' ability to enjoy their property. Um, these sorts of lawsuits were really common at the turn of the 20th century, which, when industrialization brought factories, railroads, and all of their sounds and smells right up to the edge of the residential neighborhoods. Now, this man, with his manure pile, faced accusations of causing a, nu a nuisance before, but the woman's fight was twofold. They Bought literal filth in the city streets as well as the dirt of political corruption because by pairing a clever public campaign with their legal argument, their numbers grew from just a few dozen of them to 300 members um, as well. And so part of this is what they were trying to do is, is talk about a way to, to conquer public nuisance. Now, they went, um, they went a step further in this as well. Um, in 1882, two years before this manure fight, the German bacteriologist, Robert Koch had identified the woman's uh, the, the world's most wanted germ, Mycobacterium tuberculosis. So, of course, tuberculosis at this time was killing one in seven people in the U.S. and Europe during the late 1800s, making it the deadliest infectious disease at the time. Now, by linking tuberculosis to a bacterium, um, he opened the door for public health campaigns that aimed to prevent its spread. 
So for six years, this group of women were lobbying the city's Board of Health and the National Tuberculosis Society as well to try and say, like, look, public health is really important. We have to have cleaner communities because when we have the ability for bacteria to breed, um, this is this is going to be a problem. And that made that's what led to making the city making spitting illegal in public and the city wow. put up signs to remind people not to spit and encourage um citizens to remind each other not to spit um so if they hadn't made they hadn't done what they'd done um and kind of like just been grumpy about someone having piles of poo in their neighborhood and just um, simply saying it was a nuisance but they kind of turned it, it a yeah they turned it to like yeah. a public health issue Clever. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, so it's, it's kind yeah. of remarkable. Yeah. So then, um, and then of course at this point, um, they they realised their their impact and what they could do for public health, um, and so um, they accomplished a lot. They they um, got involved in a lot of public health measures in the future. Um, they worked on a series of projects that improved sanitation in New York City and things like that. Um, they fought for sanitary slaughterhouses in the city and then the removal of slaughterhouses in the city altogether. Um, they investigated water supplies, gas houses, school hygiene, garbage disposal, sewer systems. So it all led to itself and led to each other. So what's really interesting is that you find this bacteria in this manure that this man has in his property and they realize that this is, you know, there's different ways that this could be spread. So that's, I found that kind of a fascinating achievement, really, um, that they were able to do that. Yeah. Um, I have another bit interesting fact that I was thinking about, which is when we talk about someone who's the spitting image of you. Um, Funny you mentioned that. Yes, I was going to ask something related to that. Yeah, go on, Cruzy. Yeah, so apparently um, spit was historically used to mean perfect likeness, possibly um, because it was said that a child looked enough like a parent to have been spit out of the parent's mouth. Um, But there are some other theories around this. Before we had spitting image, there was another version of this unsavory sounding expression, which was the spitten image, which is actually more disgusting, isn't it? The spitten image. and um, spitten is uh, being this perfect life likeness. Um, so that's kind of interesting. But by the, um, so we see a couple of different examples of this. Um, and then we see by the middle of the 19th century, we see evidence of the word spit and image used in conjunction. So we once upon a had a time where um, uh, we, said, we see a quote from a calendar in 1810, which said, where she was brought to the bed of a daughter, his acknowledged child, but according to the report of the nurse, the very spit of the old captain. So they were talking about a child and they said it looked exactly like the captain when they try and differentiate, uh, understand where she'd come from. Um, and then someone, there was another quote from a newspaper in 1816 that said, I saw a dead snake uh, together day. It's monstrous, ugly beast. Did you ever see that one among the curiosities? It is the very spit of it. So there's already been like, we've got examples of people saying it. Um, in another in another um, piece of writing, um, we have uh, a sign where a nurse and her sister retire up the stage while in a show, after which they approach the crib of an infant. The nurse turns down the cover, and at the sight of the infant, the sister clasps her hands together and exclaims, oh, it's the very spit and image of my own baby, just like my little baby is two peas. So we see another example of somebody using that language. So it's kind of interesting. Um, and then... Um, we have in 1583, even further back, we actually can see that it was said, um, William Chart in um, another piece of writing said, as if they had been spit out of their mouths, 
to talk about that spitting image. So it's, it's, it really does come from like, when you say someone's a spitting image, the perfect likeness is that they look so like someone that they could have been spit out of their, their mouth. Own mouth. Yeah, wow. Which is disgusting, but sort of, it, um, which is poetic in of, a way. It is poetic in its own way. Um, I do have a couple of quotes. Yes, yes, yes. Go um, for it, Cruzy. Um, uh, talking, which is interesting because a couple of them are very old. Um, just to give a preface to them, a couple of them are very old, showing that there's obviously a lot of association with spit and vulgarity and kind of violence and hatred going far, quite far back. Mm. Um, but anyway, this is. I thought this is just an interesting. This is an interesting modern quote from an artist called Ivan Brunetti, who said. Admittedly, art is somewhat like spit. It does not repulse or even worry us while it is still inside of us. But once it exits our body, it becomes disgusting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was quite interesting. And then two quotes from Diogenesis um, and Aeschylus. So from Di- um, Diogenes, sorry, Diogenes. Say it correct in the correct Greek, Cruzan. Um, Diogenes, who said, In a rich man's house, there is no place to spit but his face. <laughs> quite intense um, uh, and then Aeschylus this is just an interesting example of why it would just have those associations he, uh, Aeschylus the Greek poet said I have learned to hate all traitors and there is no disease that I spit on more than treachery Ooh. so um, it's showing that massive you know that's a really powerful image that massive distaste for something that you can you can dislike something so much that you could spit on it and I think that's kind of how we feel today like okay sure there's like hoiking up and spitting on the ground which is repulsive but the idea of spitting on another human being on spitting on another person or an animal or anything is there's something incredibly vulgar about it which i found fascinating and why i'm grateful you've let me indulge that for the last 25 minutes (laughs) cruz i learned so much from you from you this afternoon i'm sure our listeners did as well and i didn't know that you know it was a group of wonderful women who managed to turn to, to stop spitting that's very yeah, clever. In New York. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Well, Cruzy, thank you so much for your sharing. I learned a lot from you, and I look forward to more chats with you uh, next week. Thank you very much indeed, Cruz. Have a lovely See weekend. You. Bye. You too.